Blog Talk Radio. Stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And welcome aboard to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States. Do not worry, we are not going to be talking about Election Day on Tuesday, but do your American right and privilege on Tuesday, no matter who you vote for. I don't really want to vote, but whoever it is, get out there on Tuesday and vote. But I promise you that'll be all we talk about on the election here on this show. We're going to give you an escape from all of that because sports is designed to be an escape. 917-889-8516, our digits. We've been talking college football with our one and only Rick Riggin and uh, Matthew Embry. Uh, also breaking news out of Indianapolis Mo- uh, Motor Speedway on uh, IndyCar. Mary Hallman George, chairman of the board, uh, and uh, – widow or, or spouse of a founder, Tony Hallman George. You probably know her synonymous with ladies and gentlemen, start your engine. The most famous wor- words in racing. So we'll be talking with our official IndyCar contributor, Matthew Embry, about that right here in just a moment before we get into college football. That is breaking. We're also going to be talking more about that in our racing segment with uh, Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest. And just uh, a memorable uh, uh, time, I guess, if you will, because I tell you what, if you've been around Indianapolis in, in probably most of our lifetimes, uh, we we know the the sound and uh, Mary Hallman George of gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines, or as the original one was, lady and gentlemen, uh, start your engine. At this in the second hour, Ed Grant. Rider for the Philadelphia Eagles. Going to be joining us as we go around the NFL, looking into week eight. Good news is there's no way the Colts can lose this week. We are on a roll. Of course, that's because we're on a bye, but that's okay. I'm still rolling on with the Raiders win. And the way uh, San Francisco did a shot locking up to them on Thursday, I think we beat just a lousy team. <laughs> we'll get into that if I can survive. I have been dealing with this cold. I am. Re- <coughs> I know that is very unprofessional in the radio world, but sometimes it just happens. I've got my cough medicine right here with me. I've got my Gatorade. I've got my coffee. We're ready to go. And we'll also have uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show as well. My name's Tom Mark. We'll say, Presidente, stick around. It's about to get good. I hope so. Anyway, I pray. Tonight 
Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Speedway is a sentimental place for all its accent on technical excellence and harsh reality. That sentiment was personified by the much admired owner of the track, Tony Holman, who died last autumn. There's been a lot of speculation and some mystery this month as to who would succeed Tony 
to utter the words, gentlemen, start your engines. New President Joe Cloutier said he would not be the one, but he would not reveal who it would be. Well, most appropriately, it is going to be the widow of Tony Hallman, Mary Hallman. There's Mrs. Hallman now, obviously moved by this moment. Lady, lady and gentlemen, start your engines. Well, and that's how it sounded when Mary Hallman George took over the reins from Tony Hallman George, uh, announcing uh, the... Uh, at the uh, at the beginning of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, joining us now our official IndyCar contributor. We're going to be talking some Notre Dame football with us here in a minute. Just a quick uh, roll call: uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor uh, and uh, Notre Dame contributor as well from ninety six point one WSBT in South Bend, uh, Notre Dame country, uh, flagship of uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and one. Uh, stinking uh, Notre Dame fan, which we love dearly, uh, an executive producer of the ballast, Mr. Rick Rickett. Is everybody on board with us this morning? How are you, Rick? How are you, Matthew? Pretty good. Good morning, guys. Okay, let's get some clarifications in here. The voice that you heard on that was Mary Fendrick Hallman and not Mary Hallman. She was the one that did the she was the widow of the late Tony Holman. Uh, Mary Holman George was the daughter of Tony Holman, the mother of Tony George. So let's get that uh, little clarification in there so we don't confuse the folks that are listening here. Okay. Well, the the late I may have grabbed the wrong sound bite, but this tweet uh, from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, heartbroken at the passing of Mary Hallman George, who touched the lives of millions uh, through her deep passion of, for auto racing, stewardship of the racing capital of the world, and decades of compassion and philanthropy. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Mary. We love you, and we will miss you. Uh, so as we still know, she is the one who uh, started the, the races and said, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, start your engine. What are your, what are your thoughts, Matthew? You and I have hung out at that track for a long time. I know you've been uh, out there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, and Rick, we're going to put you on mute here just for a moment because I know you're not the, the racing expert, but, uh, Matthew and I, we've spent a lot of time out there at the Indianapolis Speedway. Matthew also our official IndyCar contributor. What are your thoughts as far as from the aspects of IndyCar uh, and being a fan of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, what are your thoughts on the passing of Mary Hallman George? Of course, Mary Hallman George uh, was the one that did the command to start engines from 97 through 2015. Uh, big uh, ups to her because she was the one that was the chairman of the board uh, during the tumultuous time with the split and all that going on. So I think the big thing that she needs to be recognized for is uh, her contribution to the Special Olympics of Indiana, because if not for her, I don't think Special Olympics would be where it is today. Uh, of course, she was the creator of the Save Art of Barbecue, which included the barbecue and also the Special Olympic events involving the drivers as well uh, from 1981. I don't know if they're still doing it now, but uh, that's a big event, so if you uh, at any of the special Olympic events uh, in anywhere in Indiana or any of the neighboring states. So uh, give a big thank you to Barry Hallman George for uh, getting that to where it is today. 
Yeah, absolutely, and, we, and we're going to be talking more about this in the uh, racing segment with Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest. We're also going to be talking about some NASCAR. Of course, uh, we're in the, to the round of eight, and uh, we'll be talking as they get into Texas, but we're going to be talking more about this. So, you know, uh, just a fun fact, if you will, I'm from Evansville. Rick, you're from Evansville. Mary Holman George was born in Evansville in 1930. Uh, in 1934 and in 1945, her father, uh, Tony, uh, purchased IMS, uh, which uh, ignited the passion, no pun intended, uh, for uh, racing uh, in, in this young girl. She started uh, at a ra- as a racing team owner before she turned 21 and was putting cars in the Indianapolis 500 in 1962 and 1962, both driven by her husband, Elmer George. She served as chairman of the board of the Speedway in 1988. 2016 and gave the famous uh, command to the drivers to start their engines starting in the late 90s through 2015 as as Matt said so sad passing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway certainly if you're a fan of IndyCar uh, and a fan of the Indianapolis 500 I've been going for several years and I I tell you what there was one other uh, one other iconic voice if you will that we remember Matt uh, there at IMS, and, and that was Tom Carnegie, and another track record, and one other one is the historian uh, out there as well. Those three iconic voices, there's only one left, and that's the uh, historian of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. All right, guys, let's get into some college football talk. Lots to talk about today. We're gonna... Go ahead, Matt. Do you have something to say? And, of course, that historian, of course, we should mention that is Donald Davidson. I'm, I'm sorry, you're right, it is Donald Davidson. I didn't have my notes right here in front of me, but I knew I know the voice, so thank you for belling me out yet again, Matthew. All right, Rick, we're going to bring you back on here. Rick Riggin, executive producer. Guys, we're going to get into some Notre Dame talk. Uh, we're going to get into some college football talk. But I want to talk about this uh, situation out in Maryland uh, th- with the Turpins. And, and we're going to start with you, Rick, and then we'll get around to you, Matt, and then uh, we'll just kind of chime in a little bit about this. So let's kind of uh, bring this up to speed, Matt, uh, Rick. Uh, you know, here's what we know is that DJ Durkin is no longer the coach of Maryland. Now, he had been suspended, and then he had been fired, and then he had been reinstated or rehired, if you will. And now he's been fired again because of the outrage, if you will, of social media. Now, that said, that said, I think the head coach should be responsible for everything that happens on his team. But it's not the same way in the NFL. If somebody gets in trouble or does something in the NFL, it's not not the same way. I don't know that we can attribute D.J. Durkin's actions or anything he did personally as a coach outside of maybe – not knowing what his other coaches were doing led to the death of this of this young player. We'll start with you, Rick. What are your thoughts? Uh, you said it to start it off. I mean, ultimately the responsibility does fall on hit his shoulders, and it was the outpouring that got him fired. Uh, me personally, I don't think there was really any intent. Yeah, negligence maybe. You know, definitely intent. I'm doing any harm to any player, and and I know uh, Jordan paid the price uh, for that because of the negligence, and uh, because of all that, I don't think D.J. Durkin is a, a bad guy, you know, but ultimately the responsibility does fall on the head coach because he oversees the entire program, and it was the right call, in my opinion, to go ahead and just let him go. Well, okay, then if that is the right call, guys, let's get your thoughts on this. Why did you they rehire him 
I, here's what I think. Once you decided as an organization, this is the route we're going to go. We're going to stand behind our coach. We're going to let him be our coach. We're going to return him to the sidelines. And then the president of the university and others, uh, because of outrage on social media, to see somebody fired, to see somebody's life uprooted, when it, it, it's not like he had anything directly to do with the death of this, of, of this, of this player, which we'll get into in just a moment uh, on that side of the coin. But I was just kind of wanted to get the thoughts because then it wasn't until the out. This is the power, and we've talked about this on the show many times, guys. This is the power of social media these days. This is where we're at these days. That social media, when you have a bunch of people who don't know squat about squat. Just being able to to, uh, send out 140 characters uh, are are able to change the lives of people and ruin their careers. I think think it is just a sad time when social media dictates uh, what happens in in an organization, especially when it's not like he was directly uh, uh, responsible for the death of the player. They said, hey, we're going to stick by you. Let's get out on the field, and we're going to put this behind us. Social media erupts. Oh, no, I'm sorry. we gotta, we got to fire you. Matthew Embry, what are your thoughts? Well, the thing that's fishy, though, is that they did not have an outside body investigate the situation. The fact they did in-house looked very suspicious to me. Add to that, uh, I think some of the things I've seen from some of the insiders – they know that one unnamed sources, they really are not impressed with what DJ Durka did. But I think what it also shows is just how much power these college coaches have. I mean, look at Sean Miller with all the stuff that happened at Arizona. He is still kept with all the issues that happened at Ohio State. Urban Myers kept his job. I think it just showed that additional decisions that these college football, basketball, whatever you want to call them, coaches just have way too much power and way too much control. And I think in these situations in the future, it's going to become even tougher for these school presidents, whoever it is, they're making the decisions to pull the trigger to fire a coach for these incidents. And I think that's why you initially saw Maryland uh, protect uh, DJ Durkin. Well, and I think that, and, you know, we'll get, we'll go back to you, Rick. And I'm sorry, my, uh, Computer froze. I don't have I don't have the player's name right here in front of me, and I'm trying to refresh. But maybe you've got that in front of you there. But at the end of the day, he collapsed because of health issues that weren't necessarily revealed to the uh, to the university. Also, he collapsed because he physically was unable to. It was not the co- he, the, the other player the exact same thing. I don't I didn't I don't see and Rick maybe maybe you can correct me on this. I don't see anything that said that he was being made to do anything different than any other player out there. Am I wrong? Where where is this the coach's fault at in, in any shape? Well there has to be monitors in place and people watching over these players because the way an offensive lineman or defensive lineman's body is going to work and how it can be exercised is a lot different than a quarterback or running back or, or you know, a linebacker, somebody of different size. So these guys, their bodies work differently. They have to be watched in a different way. So every monitor, every barrier, every, every sign, every red flag you look for for these players, at least in Jordan's case, was totally just missed, it looks like. So 
even though DJ Durkin wasn't at the practice, but the fact that he hired the strength conditioning coach and he he's the one that brings these coaches in to to monitor all this stuff and every single piece of red tape failed what these uh, coaches are supposed to look for. Uh, it all to fall ultimately falls on DJ Durkin. Even though he wasn't at the practice, and I know the investigation, like Matt said, was done in the house, and they felt like that there wasn't enough there to pin this all on DJ Durkin. Ultimately, you have to because uh, I don't know if Maryland's a private university, Matt. You may or may not know, but uh, like in Urban Meyer's case, he's the highest like paid state employee in Ohio, and a lot of his head uh, football coaches are the highest paid guys in the state. So uh, that all comes into hiring and firing. When you want to fire a guy like that, it's a lot harder to do when they're the highest paid guy in the state. And I don't know if D.J. Durkin falls in that category or not, but I think that also had a lot to do with it. I think the thing there with D.J. Durkin that D.J. Durkin could say is, well, what about Brian Kelly? When uh, Declan Sullivan, uh, the incident with the failed – Riser or whatever it is led to his passing and fatal tragedy. Um, I think right now, uh, if you're DJ Dirk and you point to that Brian Kelly incident with Declan Sullivan and saying, well, why wasn't Brian Kelly fired for that incident and I'm being fired for this incident? If you're looking from the eyes of DJ Dirk, and I think that's one incident you look at and say, hey, why was I fired when this guy wasn't fired? I'll tell you why he was fired, and that's what I said at the very beginning. The only reason this guy was fired, the only reason this guy was fired, and was because social media erupted, and the uh, media erupted. Media they fell. But social media erupted when Declan Sullivan said death happened, and nothing happened there. So it just—I think it's about the power of the coaches and the influence the coach has, not necessarily uh, social media, because social media, Brian Kelly. When the Declan Sullivan incident happened, they also blasted Brian Kelly when nothing was done with the incident, supposed incident involving, I believe, uh, current 49er uh, Romeo Cora. I believe that's the, or Julian, or whoever it is that's uh, currently with the 49ers. Well, we'll have to leave it there because we've got to get on to some college football talk. I know we got uh, delayed a little bit because we were talking about the passing of Mary Hall and George, but I did want to talk about this. All right, guys, let's get into Notre Dame. Uh, Northwestern, uh, Big Ten visits uh, uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish. This should be a very good game. However, uh, Notre Dame is, is – uh, running the table, and uh, they're number three now. How about that? Uh, we'll start with you, Rick Riggin. What are your thoughts? Northwest Wildcats versus the number three Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Well, Thomas, the number four Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Let's go ahead and just clear that up. And uh, the game tonight will be uh, – I think it's going to be a dog fight to Notre Dame. Time out. I'm looking at it right here in front of me. It says number three Notre Dame. I cannot help how quick Google – Update stuff. My God. Just kidding with you. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, Paul, you look at the, if you look at the AP, then it's probably number three, but the AP doesn't matter actually, anymore. Actually, in all, in all fairness, I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm just needling you a little bit. Notre- <laughs> God. When you go to Notre Dame and you, and you Google Notre Dame, the first thing that pops up is Notre Dame uh, fighting Irish NCAA football today, 7.15 p.m., Northwestern Wildcats. Versus number three, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That's where I got that at. So it, right. Google got number three from somewhere. Number three, number four, either which way, it doesn't matter. It's all semantics. Go ahead, Rick. 
<laughs> well, I think tonight is actually going to be a, a dogfight for Notre Dame. We're not going to see them, you know, run the score up like they did against Navy or go like they went into Virginia Tech and, uh, you know, exit Sandman basically and just run the score up like that either. I think Northwestern, uh, these top teams that Northwestern plays, Northwestern plays them tough. They kind of have their number. They've won seven in the last 12 against the top 25. They've beat Notre Dame the last two times they've played them. And I think it's going to be a dogfight for Notre Dame. I think they're like, what is, I know they started at 7.10. I, I think Notre Dame maybe wins a close one, scratch one out, field goal or, or touchdown. I, I'm not I'm not thinking they run the score up on Northwestern tonight, Matt. I think the key thing right now, if it comes down to field goal, is where, how is the health of Justin Dio? He did not play last week. Uh, Jonathan Dore uh, played last week against Davey, had his problems. So if you can't go, uh, then you have obviously the questions, and then of course the big question is whether or not Tranquil is going to play. But uh, I hate to say it, Tom, but I think this is where the Notre Dame run ends. I have Northwestern winning this game, 34-31. Interesting. I didn't think I would hear either one of you guys say that Notre Dame would get beat by Northwestern. Although I was kind of thinking it to myself that, Tom, that Northwestern. Table here of who is left on Notre Dame's schedule? Northwestern, by far and away, of the four teams left, is the toughest game they have left. I think you could say Syracuse is the second toughest, followed by USC and Florida State. This is the team that Northwestern has been a mixed bag. They have had trouble beating teams. They lost to Akron earlier this year. They had problems against Nebraska when they were winless. But this is a team that is on a roll that just absolutely knocked the waffle off of Wisconsin last week. This is a team that is a very scary team and is a team of now as opposed to the start of the year. And I just think they have the perfect uh, mix of offense and defense to uh, really, you know, put up to have a good chance and probably the best chance of placing a loss at Notre Dame. Far and away, I think for the four games left, this is the game that is the toughest one left for Notre Dame at this point. We've got to get on to another game here that I want to talk about now. Here, Rick, we're going to start with you on this. And I know I, I'm probably going to be the anomaly, anomaly here uh, between the three of us. Uh, but, uh, you know, Alabama has not really been trying. They're number one. Obviously, no secret there. Newsflash, breaking news. Uh, Alabama's number one in the AP poll. I do have the AP poll up now, Rick. So, uh, hopefully, I got the numbers right. No. Alabama- Delete that AP poll. It doesn't matter. You need the college football playoff poll. Alabama's still number one. I, I got that much right, right? Yeah, but Notre Dame's four, not three. And uh, three. <laughs> 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 all right, guys. I, all right. You know what? Y'all are fired. All three of you are fired. All two of you. So the game one. <laughs> What I want to talk about, Alabama-LSU. Alabama has not really been tested. Let's just say not been tested, especially late in the fourth quarter. LSU has the ability uh, to stay with uh, Alabama all the way through the game and could give them a tight fourth quarter. I feel like that this is going to be a challenge and a test for Alabama. A lot of people may disagree with me on this, but LSU is a very good team this year. They can bring it to Alabama. This is going to be a a wild, wild west uh, SEC uh, uh, shootout, if you will, uh, at the OK Corral, if you will, uh, Alabama and LSU, Rick. Well, both defenses are elite. LSU's defense is 
right there with Alabama. I mean, they're both elite, maybe the best two defenses of college football. But I just don't think LSU has the horsepower on offense to keep up with Tua, basically, in that Alabama offense. But here's what you got to look out for. Kind of look at it at like a like, like you're looking at a meter, basically. You see two in the third quarter, that's good for Alabama. If you see two in the fourth quarter, that's probably bad for Alabama. So just watch out. Watch for Tua. If you see him in the third quarter, if you see him in the fourth quarter, that's probably how you're going to have to gauge this game. Matt, what are your thoughts? Alabama, LSU. Let's take a look at this in the Alabama set. Alabama, Tua Tagovailoa, 45 touchdowns, no interceptions thrown this year. LSU, Joe Burrow, okay quarterback, but really has not been tested. I think right now, and I think a lot of people on the insider say that Joe Burrow is going to get exposed as a not-so-great quarterback that today, I guess, in Alabama defense, I think LSU does not have a chance in this game. I think Alabama wins it 35-10. to 10. I mean, it's probably, that's probably right. Uh, they just don't have the horsepower on offense to keep up with Bama. They might be able to keep them down. I know Alabama scores about 50 points a game, so maybe they can hold them down, like Matt said, to 30, 35 points. But I just don't think LSU has the horsepower to score 35 points on Bama. Well, we're running about out of time here for college football. I know that uh, we got delayed a little bit because we were talking about the passing of Miriam and uh, George. But, Rick, let me ask you this, because for some reason I can't pull up the right poll that you're talking about. I do not want to be wrong on any note. I'm just being a smart ass. But, honestly, talk with us a little bit about the rankings came out this week, as we talked about. We called it the the Halloween surprise, if you will, or non-surprise. Talk with us a little bit about what you saw come out in the rankings, what we're looking at going forward from this point forward on the teams that really matter and the teams that we really should be talking about. Well, I, I, I'm happy. I, I'm fine with er, everything in the top ten. I know Kentucky's there, and I, I know Matt. You're, we were both kind of high on them, you know, earlier this year, and deservedly so. They look great, but I think that's going to end today in a big way because I think they're going to get destroyed by Florida. But look at 11 on down. That's where I think the joke is. As so many teams in the ACC are in the top 25, and. Uh, with five and three Northwestern, you know, there's some five and three teams ranked. I think Northwestern would just manhandle any team in the ACC right now outside of Clemson, but they're not ranked. We have all these ACC teams that are ranked right now, and that makes Clemson's schedule look better than Notre Dame's because of that, and that is totally not the case. Notre Dame's schedule has just been a lot tougher than, than Clemson's. I mean, they even schedule F- FCS teams. So I think in the committee's eyes now – it looks like Clemson has has had the tougher road because of their schedule. So many teams in the ACC in the top 25, and that is totally not the case. And that's where I think the joke is. Matt, we're going to give you the you final word. Right and the biggest oh, game no, that sticks out there has got to be Georgia and Kentucky. Uh, the question is, can Georgia's Jake Cloud handle, uh, you know, the blitz-happy defense, Josh Allen and a company from Kentucky, and the question in my mind with Kentucky is, can Kentucky win in with Terry Wilson's arm? Well, we know that Benny Snell Jr. is one of the top running backs at a Heisman Trophy candidate, but I think in this game we're going to see Georgia pack the box with eight to nine players. I think the big question for Kentucky, if they want to win this game, Terry Wilson's got to find a way to get the job done. He really struggled.
struggled against Vanderbilt and Mizzou, two games that Kentucky could have easily lost the last two games. He needs to step forward. If he does, they have a chance. If he doesn't, and it's all about Benny Snell, I think Kentucky's going to have a long time, long day, and let's do trying to beat Georgia. All right, guys, well, that's where we're going to have to leave it at. Uh, Matthew, you're more than welcome to stick around and talk some NASCAR with us. Uh, uh, Rick, you're going to get your hair cut? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Back to bed for me, uh, buddy. Uh, unfortunately, the algae bug's been killing me this week. All right, buddy, you get, you get yourself to feeling better. Uh, Rick, we'll talk with you soon. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll get uh, everything straightened out as far as number three or number four. And when you when you get a chance, Rick, go go on your your laptop, open up the laptop, and just Google. Just all you got to do is put Google Google Notre Dame, and then also look at ESPN's rankings. They've got Notre Dame at number three and LSU at number four. I just well, I just you wanna, just need to worry about the playoff rankings. I could get that to pull up. You'll have to send really? me the link on it. I have to bookmark it. Honestly, I could. I was every time I typed in, every time I typed in the the uh, college football rankings, that's what was popping up. Any which way, I digress. Rick, you're you're you're, you're much appreciated. I'm gonna have you all you host the rest of the show because so I can talk. All right, buddy, have yourself a good weekend. Yep. See you guys. Thank you. Rick Reagan, executive producer of Balance, joins us to talk to college football. Uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor and also a Notre Dame contributor, uh, joins us. And we were talking a little bit about uh, the passing of Mary Hallman George, uh, breaking this morning, age 83. Uh, it's uh, synonymous at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, with uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, start your engines. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. All right, I think we're back. Uh, Steve Wilson, can you hear us? Yes, I got you. All right, my goodness. Uh, we had gremlins come through and, and mess with our Internet there. We just kind of drifted off into uh, radio silence. I don't know what happened. One of those things... But either which way, we're back. We'll regroup. Nine one seven eight nine eight five one six are digits. Uh, half hour in the books. Thanks to Matthew Embry and Rick Riggin uh, giving us a call, talking some college football. 
Market uh, NASCAR into Texas in the round of eight. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, but, Steve, uh, as we know, what happened this morning, Mary Hallman George uh, passed away, obviously, synonymous with Hallman George family. Uh, uh, born in Evansville, Indiana, been uh, racing was part of her life for many, many years. But what we know her most for is, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What are your thoughts on the passing of Mary Holman George? The Holman family has been a, an icon in this sport, and without them, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway would not be what it is today, or it may not even be what it was. 10 or 20 or 30 years ago they they virtually saved that track from 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 going into the history book and they built this thing up to a motorsports icon led by uh you know not only her over these past uh, 20 years 20 25 years but you know her 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 the rest of her family that preceded her uh, for for all the famous uh, uh ladies and gentlemen searching engines that we saw on uh uh, on race day, Indian Indianapolis 500, it just pales in comparison to all the things that not only she and within her leadership, but her family's leadership was to Indianapolis, to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and racing in general. She's she's been somebody that's been very engaged into the sport during her tenure there. They both designed, developed. And, um, and and started installing what is probably one of the most arguably one of the uh, safest components now in, in motorsports that has saved a lot of people is the safer barrier. So her through her leadership, uh, you know they they they've worked you know to to better the sport in general to provide a safer racing place and to continue the tradition of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis 500. Uh, into not only a new century, but a new millennium. Well, absolutely, and like the the George family was also known for their Palampa Three. Uh, certainly, have given a lot back to the community. Uh, certainly, given a lot to the the Special Olympics. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, yes, they're a very wealthy family, uh, but at the same time, they've given a lot back, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, who and how uh, the board goes about choosing uh, somebody to carry on the legacy, if you will, of a, one of the most iconic things in racing uh, heard all over the world at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, at the beginning of the race. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. You know, you wonder who that might be. I mean, uh, does, does, does Tony step up to do that? Uh, does uh who who that might that be and as we know ed carpenter is a part of that family uh, as well so there, there's a lot of uh uh connections to indycar uh well and other races for that matter to the hallman george family but any thoughts on maybe who you just initially might think that the board might say hey we're going to hand this over to uh this person to start the the race or do you think it's going to be more of a um like they do in other races where it's the, the sponsorship uh, uh, executive team, uh, the it's celebrities, it's it, it'll maybe more on how they select the pace car driver or whoever's green flag. It might not be the same person year over year, but I think Indianapolis might want to have the same person year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
I think the tradition continues with somebody within the family. Uh, you know, it hasn't really been until the last two or three years, starting with the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500, that they've even, uh, you know, reached out and branched out to a large-scale sponsorship. Uh, the Daytona 500 and NASCAR today is still the Daytona 500 and NASCAR. There's no Daytona 500 presented by or the whatever uh, Daytona 500. Uh, it just simply is the Daytona 500, and for many, many years, leading all the way up into the 100th running, uh, it, it has simply been known as the Indianapolis 500 uh, with no precursor to it, uh, no sponsorship. Um, but I, I, I think as they begin to branch out again in the new millennium, they, they realize that they had to create a shift, a paradigm shift in how they not only market and uh, entitle these events like they have done, um, I, 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 I still think that they're going to keep as much tradition surrounding the event as possible, and we will see somebody uh, within within the Hallman family um, uh, who that will be. Maybe they will rotate it out. Maybe it won't be a singular person, but uh, I, I think we will continue to see that same tradition week after, or I mean year after year in, in the Indianapolis 500 there. Talking with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of uh, uh, SpeedwayDigest.com. Check them out. Certainly uh, a, a foremost authority, especially when it comes to NASCAR. Steve's our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, Steve, let's get into some racing. We had some truck action out in Texas. We'll go around to the round of six. Uh, Justin Haley uh, uh, pulls out a win last night in Texas. Here's the thing. We talked about Justin Haley last week on the show that he's the one to keep an eye on. And here we go. He's starting to make his move. Still number two in the round of six. As we look at the round of six in the truck series, we've got uh, Johnny Souther, Justin Haley, Brett Moffat, uh, Noah Gregson, uh, Grant Effinger, and Matt Crafted. Round of six at at, uh, Texas. I mean, it was some really good racing last night. Aside to we got off to a rocky start with about four or five caution flags uh, within the first uh, two stages alone, uh, both of them ending under caution. But, I mean, there was racing all around the racetrack, and there was a lot of these drivers like Matt Kraft and those sitting at the at the back of this bubble that, that made gains all night long. Unfortunately, he just didn't make enough gains. He's way, way behind, so going into Phoenix or ISM Raceway um, next weekend, next Friday. He, he He's in a win or go home situation as far as this concern. And, uh, you know, th- that team has put everything together. Um, same way with Grant Enfinger. Grant Enfinger started inside of the top four at the beginning of the race. He ran in the top four. He was above the cut line for uh, a good half or so of the event uh, with pit cycles and cautions and uh, some rotation of uh, uh, some of the other things that are going on in that event last night. Um, he rallied back. He got back but he's still about six points out. So he uh, needs to go into ISM Raceway next week. He needs to not only just have a good run, but he needs to have um, – he needs to get as many stage points 
as he can next week. Justin Haley, he was sort of at the back of this whole thing. We've been watching him off and on. Uh, He won in dramatic fashion in the same way that he won at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsports earlier this year. Uh, uh, David, I mean, sorry, Todd Gillen running out of gas with a half lap or less left and well in command over three seconds that he had a command over the field and uh, just runs out of gas and uh, just Haley takes that thing away from him. Todd Gillen would go and finish fourth in last night's event, but, uh, you know, for the consolation prize, um, you know, the second place is the first loser and unfortunately um, he, he 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 had a good attitude about it. He 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 was very respectful and very composed. I know when he got out the truck, he was uh, initially frustrated. That's two of them this year that have gotten away with him. Uh, but he's had very good runs in that KBM truck. Uh, look for him next year as he runs the full season because this year he just wasn't able to do that because of his age constraints and some of these race tracks. But I'd say next year you need to start looking at him as a competitive driver in and out of the Camping Road Truck Series. As far as Noah Gergson is concerned, he uh, he, he started on the outside, pit cycles and cautions, kicked him back to the field a couple times, but he came back, rallied back. He's inside of the top four right now. Uh, He needs to maintain what he's been doing all along when he goes to ISM Raceway next week. And... uh, grab a few stage points and, uh, you know, just go and keep himself clean. So let's move on to uh, more action in Texas today, 430. Uh, the round of eight continues with uh, look at uh, Elliot Sadler. We look at uh, Dan Emmerich, uh, Tyler Reddick, Christopher Bell, Matt uh, Tiff, Justin Algeiger, Cole Custer, and Austin Cedric round out your top eight. And Chevy is pretty dominant in the top four. Yeah, uh, not only Chevrolet, just in, in, in general, is, is has been dominant into this, but uh, JR uh, Motorsports has uh, has this thing on lockdown. Um, Justin Allgaier, while uh, winning this year, uh, he's been competitive at every single event. We've talked about him at nearly every single event. He's had less and less of those uh, uh, moments where he uh, – uh, you know, it's tangled up with the, either somebody else or yeah, through no fault of his own or mechanical failures. And the JR Motorsports, they've, they, they're they on top of the game right now, I think, as far as the Xfinity series is concerned. We've seen Joe Gibbs Racing kind of take that role over for the last couple of years. But this year in 2018, it really is all about – I mean, uh, JR Motorsports. It is all about Justin Allgaier. It is about Elliot Tyler, and it, who is retiring at the end of the year. So he's got three more events left for them, and they're, um, you know, they're they're trying to do their thing at the same time. But uh, for for a whole and the totality of it, yes, you know, I I think we have to look at JR Motorsports uh, not only this weekend, but when we get to Homestead, uh, I, I don't I, I don't don't be too surprised when somebody. Uh, like Justin Algar uh, goes to um, you know win uh, win the championship in the Xfinity Series. Well, we'll certainly uh, be keeping our eyes on it, that's for sure. But now we're going to get into the big boy talk, GCs uh, round of eight as well uh, in in Texas Motor Speedway. Joey Logano, uh, Kyle Busch, 
Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch, Chase Elliott, Clint Boyer, and Armadella. Uh, rounds out your top eight. Joey Logano in it to win it. But uh, I don't know. Kyle Busch, he's he's certainly there. But, uh, you know, we, we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where where we're at now as opposed to where we're at, you know, just a few weeks ago. You know, just a few weeks ago, we, we were talking about uh, uh guy was winning everything. Why do I have such a brain fart today? This this cold has got to me. Um, Kevin Harvick, sorry. Kevin Harvick, talk about uh, Kevin Harvick. We're not even talking about him anymore. Yeah, I mean this is this is really shifted in the big three that we've talked about all all year long: Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., and uh, Kyle Busch. Uh, yeah, Kevin Kevin Harvick is going to fell off the radar a little bit. Uh, he's uh, still hanging there, uh, but he's just the performance uh, for that team has uh, lacked here in the last couple of weeks. I would say that you know with Martin Truex Jr. the same thing. Um, we, we're now talking about Joey Logano, who won in dramatic fashion last week. Uh, over um, Martin Truex Jr. We're talking about the Chasey Elliott that won two back-to-back races to solidify himself, you know, within this round and, and potentially a championship bid at at Homestead uh, in just a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we've shifted away from this uh, top three. And, you know, while, while we have uh, two uh, – or three drivers that we talked about on a consistent basis through the first two thirds of the year, um, they just haven't been there. They've uh, they haven't performed as well. Uh, but you know that doesn't mean that going back to Kevin Harvick. I mean Kevin Harvick uh, at ISM Raceway. I mean he he's he's gone into that race and he's had to win his way into Homestead, and he's done that. And and I think when we get to a place like Homestead, I, I mean, sorry, about a place like uh, Phoenix, um, look for him to be there. I, I, I don't think that, you know, they're, they're going to make any splashy, you know, the, the top three are going to win over the next three weeks in splashy fashion like they have been. But uh, I, I think at this point maybe they're, they're thinking or maybe their uh, strategy is – don't try and pull off some of those uh, dramatic fashion uh, passes or those dramatic fashion race and finishes like uh, we saw with Truex and uh, Logano at Martinsville just a week ago. Logano is in a totally different situation. He 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 was farther down the chain and uh, needed a win to get himself locked into Homestead. So, you know, maybe he can pull some of those things where Kevin Harvick and, and Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. couldn't necessarily do it right now. I think they, they're per, they're trying to protect what they have at this point, and, and by doing so, that's why we may not be talking about them as much, although we are still talking about Martinsville last weekend uh, and the race finish there. So, I mean, there there is a little bit of that top three kind of, you know, intermingled in there somewhere. So what do we know as far as uh, Stuart Haas, uh, uh, Kurt Busch, uh, contracts? What do we know about uh, – Who's moving? Who's staying? Who's going? Uh, what do we know as we as we approach uh, the funny season, if you will, of NASCAR? Uh, do we know anything more about who's going where and and uh, who's staying, who's going, or anything like that? 
Well, you know, that's the funny thing is that we've we've talked about this for quite some time, and we've talked about, you know, oh, this, uh, you know, somebody's going to go to to Stuart Haas Racing, and a lot of it, it points or has pointed in the direction of uh, of Daniel Suarez taking over that 41 car that Kurt Busch will take over for uh, Jamie McMurray over at Chip Ganassi Racing. But then all of a sudden, some of this stuff just kind of dropped off the radar here. And what is happening now is, is that the last that we've heard is, is that Daniel Suarez is still trying to figure this whole thing out, get a contract in place um, that's going to fit him. And, and a lot of this comes back to his sponsors and some of his uh, partners that he has in the, in the series. Uh, one of the concerns has been in the past about Arius is that Arius is tied, yes, to, to um, Daniel Suarez, but they are more tied to Joe Gibbs Racing than they are to Suarez, and I think they're more contractually agree- more contractually obligated to to stay with 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 the Joe Gibbs Racing at this time. So maybe this is the point in which that they are trying to figure out how an exit plan or an exit strategy from that partnership will work, and, and would move him over to a place like Stuart Haas Racing. And honestly. <clears throat> Um, I don't think that uh, uh, Stuart Haas Racing and and Daniel Suarez are going to work well together. Uh, Everybody that is over there has some type of dirt experience. They have some type of uh, uh, various styles of racing experience, and I think that fits into the culture over there of, of, of the way that Tony Stewart has that program, uh, Clint Boyer big into uh, dirt racing. Um, we've seen, um, you know, both uh, Kurt Busch and uh, Kevin Harvick grow up in the dirt tracks, grow up in the other uh, forms of racing. And while Eric Almirola may not have as much dirt experience, um, he does have, you know, experience in in, in styles of racing that that the that they're liking to see. Now, Daniel Suarez, you know, I, he, he came to the K&N series. He's come up through the rest of the series. He went to the NASCAR Mexico series. So there's a couple of different series that he's been through. But overall, I, I, I don't think that he's a good match right now just because of uh, his, his lack of experience in some of the other uh, racing or forms of motorsports that 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 we've seen with Tony Stewart and we've seen with some of the others over at, at, at Stewart Haas Racing. And I think that's what makes that company right now is that they're well-versed in so many different styles of motorsports from the top down that, that it helps them work with one another. It helps them work on the cars. It helps them work with the teams and the engineers. And, and I think that experience level over there is what's keeping the, that team running on all eight cylinders at this point. And uh, for Daniel Suarez to go over there, I think we might have just, uh, you know, that lack of experience for him. Um, I think he, he will find a place. I think that he's uh, good enough in, in this series that he will find a place to go to. Um, but overall, I think the culture over there at this time, just because of, uh, you know, some of the things I've stated, I think, you know, he may not fit in uh, as well as we've seen uh, Clint Boyer fit in or Eric Almirola that uh, took about uh, six to eight months or less than a year to really get on top of his game and start performing at the level of Stuart Haas racing. 
We're talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. Steve, uh, final word, final thoughts, if you will. Uh, Texas, what are the X's and O's? What can we look for uh, tomorrow in Texas Motor Speedway? Certainly, Texas is a fast speedway. Talk with us a little bit about tomorrow. Uh, Texas, uh, look for, uh, if, you, if you will, in the X's and O's as we go into Texas tomorrow. Um, you know, Ryan Blaney was fast there. He's on the pole, and he won the Xfinity Series race in the spring, came up just a little bit short in that race. Maybe this is a redemption factor for him getting on the pole. Uh, I, I would think that he's going to do what he needs to do. Uh, he, he may be out, but I think he's looking to spoil this whole party uh, of of the top four going to Homestead and deny somebody a, an automatic bid, uh, which could shake up those points just a little bit for somebody who, who needs that win or somebody who needs those extra points. Um, and, I, and I do think that, you know, he, he could be a spoiler in all of this, and we've seen spoilers in the past. Uh, uh, with uh, with drivers in the playoffs that have taken away a win or an automatic bid from somebody else, and uh, maybe Ryan Blaney is that this weekend. Maybe he's that guy that denies somebody that win. Um, Fords are going to be fast. Boyer's up there, and uh, I, I I think that they're just going to be incredibly fast. But uh, don't count out Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, and uh, Kevin Harvick at the same time. They'll do what they have to do. Uh, get as many points, and maybe even go up there and um, get somebody out of the way to uh, go on for a win. We appreciate it to uh, uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. As always, it's going to be a good race in Texas, and this is the round of eight. So uh, who knows what's going to happen in Texas. And thank you for your thoughts on Mary Hallman George, uh, the passing of her. Where can people find your work and masterpieces, Mr. Steve? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter and SpeedwayDigest.com. All the information is up there um, for for this weekend. I've got everything ready to go for the next couple weeks. Uh, we're closing this season out, and um, I can't believe that we're almost there at Homestead. I tell you what, and then just right after the beginning of the year, we're going to get ready for Daytona. So there's a very small offseason for NASCAR, uh, but it is uh, about to come, and we're about to see who's going to be the champion down in Homestead. And certainly we'll be uh, along for the ride with uh, Speedway Digest. Steve, thank you, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thank you. Take care. Steve Wilson, uh, editor-in-chief, SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor, also uh, sharing some thoughts with us on the passing of Mary Hallman George. Certainly that's uh, a huge breaking news in the racing industry today. Uh, Those that may not be familiar with her, she's the chairman of the board of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, synonymous with what you hear every year at the beginning of the Indianapolis 500, the world's most famous race, and that's, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. She has passed away at the age of 83. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. We'll be back with Ed Kratz. We're going to be talking about uh, NFL going into week eight. As I said earlier, there's no chance in hell that the Colts lose this week. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. We'll be right back. The 
Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to the Palace. One hour in the books. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. And uh, Rick Riggin talking some college football, and Matt Embry, our uh, uh, Notre Dame contributor as well, calling from up in South Bend, Indiana, the flagship station of Notre Dame, and also uh, some thoughts on Mary Hallman George. Mary Hallman George, uh, chairman of the board of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, passes away overnight 
at the age of 83, synonymous with the Indianapolis Motor, uh, Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis 500. And ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. If you've ever watched the Indianapolis 500 in recent memory, you've heard her voice and certainly an iconic voice out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, we uh, share our sympathy and prayers to the Hallman family and to the IndyCar Racing uh, League as, as, as they mourn the passing of Mary Hallman George. Also, uh, Rick, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> Steve Wilson, <laughs> excuse me, a Speedway Digest, and I'm dying, guys. I'm warning you. I'm on my deathbed. Um, uh, Join us and also talking with us a little bit about Mary Hallman George and, of course, NASCAR in to, uh, into uh, Texas in the round of eight. But joining us now, the one, the only, the great Ed Pratt, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, official NFL contributor uh, to uh, the the uh, balance uh, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, beat writer with the Sports Exchange, www.sportcallmaven.io slash Eagles. Ed, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing very well, Tom. How are you? Oh, I have literally one lung left, and it's on its last leg. I have been dealing with – it started last week as like a sinus thing where my face hurt so bad, my eyeballs were hurting. Then it went into my chest, and I've been battling this chest cold and coughing up a lung. I literally have one lung left, Ed, so I might, I'm, I might kill over on the show. You may have to take over as the host. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, well, I would, I would tell you to take a deep breath, but uh, if you only have one lung, that might not be possible. So hang in there. Take, uh, drink lots of tea and take your cold meds. I got my meds right here. I got my meds, got my Gatorade. Uh, I look like a pharmacy uh, right here, so so we're good to go. I, I but I don't look as bad as the Oakland Raiders. Is the gig up? I mean, can we all officially say that we all know that Gruden and the Oakland Raiders are tanking for 2019? Can we all just come out and admit it? They say uh, admitting it or or uh, acceptance is the first step. Is this the first step? The Oakland Raiders just need to come out and say, okay, you caught us. Uh, we're tanking for 2019. Uh, gee, Tom, I don't know. I mean, people are dying to play for the Raiders, if you listen to what John Gruden had to say after the game. Uh, you know, but I, I would say they are. They probably were tanking the minute they traded Khalil Mack, uh, you know, back in September. So they haven't done anything good since. Um, I just think that if you lose, you know, they're, they're, they were two teams with one win each. And to lose by that score, what was it, 34-3? to three? Lose by that like margin that. to another one-win team is just—it's an embarrassment for the Oakland Raiders. And a quarterback that nobody had ever heard of until Thursday. Uh, he, he probably yeah. had to when he was—if he was in bars—he probably had to say, "I really am a quarterback for the San Francisco <laughs> 49ers." No, you're not. No, really. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if. Wonder if he had trouble getting into the stadium, getting past security. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no, no, no. You, you, don't, you don't belong back here. So, yeah, a great win for the San Francisco 49ers. We'll start going around the league, and we'll start with your uh, background, uh, backyard there, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles kind of on a Super Bowl hangover. I uh, got yourself a, a, a golden nugget, if you will. Dun, dun, see what I've done there. Uh, but uh, uh, wait, certainly that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, certainly that doesn't bode well for Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford has never played uh, without a Golden Tate or, or you know, so it's, uh, we'll see how that's going to affect the Eagles. 
that trade, if you will. And let's talk a little bit about that going into week eight with the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, uh, you know, I can guarantee, kind of like you guarantee, the Colts won't lose this week, and I can guarantee the Eagles won't lose either because they oh, are on a bye. I didn't even have that up here. So, all right. Well, there we go. So, see, we got the Colts. We got the Colts and the. Uh, uh, <laughs> we got the Colts and the, the Eagles uh, are yeah. uh, taken care of. But but that, anyway, that's a trade they beefed up. They, they beefed up the wide receiver, like you said. They got themselves a golden nugget, golden Tate. Um, and you know, it was the, the trade was about. I don't know, maybe a minute and a half, you know, something like that, 90 seconds long when uh, Rick sent me a text. Rick Riggin uh, sent me a text about better take care of Golden in Philadelphia. So uh, I think he may have been one of Rick's favorite players and maybe still is. He was. But, uh, he is. Yeah, you know, he, he, he did marvelous things in Detroit, obviously. Uh, Golden Tate did. You know, he had 90 catches every year, over 1,000 yards. And, you know, the, the biggest target, number of targets for Matthew Stafford. So, you know, they they are going to miss him. And the Lions tried out a receiver this week, some guy I never heard of to take Tate's place. But, uh, you know, for the Eagles, from the Eagles' perspective, it's kind of a rental player. He, You know, he's his contract is up at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, so they, he's got eight games guaranteed with the Eagles, maybe more if they're able to win the NFC East and get into the playoffs. Uh, but then after that, I suspect he's going to, you know, move on to greener pastures in terms of money. Someone will sign him. Even though he's 30 years old, he's a highly productive guy. Um, but, uh, I, you know, and then I think what, why the Lions may have traded him was, uh, you know, they got a third-round pick, which is a pretty good, pretty good draft pick, and, and they're going to get it in the 2019 draft. Now, you know, Golden Tate, if he leaves as a free agent, will uh, a, a compensatory pick will be given to whoever time, and that's going to be the Eagles. And the thought is, is if he gets the kind of money and deal after the season with another team that he's going to get, then that pick could be a third- or fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft. Now the Lions could have waited until the end of the season and then recoup that when Tate left, figuring they weren't going to sign him. Uh, but they decided to take the draft pick now in 2019 and take that third round pick. And it's a good deal for them. And the Eagles, if they get a third or a fourth round compensatory pick for him in 2020, then they kind of recoup the loss that they, uh, you know, that third round pick that they lost in 2019, if that makes sense. So, uh, you know, I think it was a good move from the Eagles standpoint and the Lions standpoint. Well, you know, a lot of people are under the theory or thoughts that uh, the veteran receiver may may only spend about eight games with the Birds because he's looking for a Jarvis Landry-type deal. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, he certainly has production. You know, maybe the only ding on him is that he, his age. You know, he is you know, 30 years old. He'll be 31, I believe, in the, in the offseason. So, you know, that could be the only knock on him. But, you know, he's a very productive player. And these eight games are going to really tell the tale uh, for him uh, because, you know, he was Matthew Stafford's security blanket, uh, if you will, with Detroit. So he did get a number of targets. So he had a lot of opportunities. And the Eagles offense, he's not going to get, I don't think he will anyway, get as many opportunities because the Eagles have other weapons. And Alshon Jeffrey, obviously, and Zach Ertz. Uh, So his numbers probably won't look the same as they would have had he remained in Detroit. But, I think fans can see that, and, or I mean other teams can see that, and, and he'll still get a big money deal, maybe the Jarvis Landry type deal. I, I certainly think he'll be the biggest uh, wide receiver name on the market once the season ends. 
Well, you know, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, I know it's the bye week, and players like to take a week off, uh, a week off and spend some time away from uh, uh, the campus, if you will. But how important is it that Carson Wentz and Golden Tate spend some time together over this bye week to, to get acclimated? Because, I mean, next week uh, they're going to expect uh, them two to be connected uh, pretty good. And they've not played together, but they've got to be able to uh, get on the same page. Yeah, I think the bye week helps uh, Golden Tate to kind of come in. You know, he came into town, uh, had his uh, news conference on Wednesday, his introductory news conference. So, you know, he's a professional. He's going to be inside that playbook. He's going to understand, you know, some some of the easier concepts. And, uh, you know, he'll grow into that playbook as each week goes along. But this is a good jump for him to, to kind of come in and learn that playbook. You know, when the Eagles got Jay Ajayi, the running back from the Dolphins, at the trade deadline last year, it was kind of a – it took Ajayi, you know, a game or two to kind of work his way into a more productive role uh, with the offense uh, and then really took off, really was one of the key ingredients to the Eagles' Super Bowl run last year. Uh, but I think Tate, I think Golden Tate will be able to come in now on this bye and, and uh, get himself in the playbook. And as far as Carson goes, uh, I'm not sure Carson was in town these few days uh, to, you know, throw passes to Golden Tate. But uh, right now the important thing is to understand the routes, you know, the route tree, where you need to be in the offense. Uh, and then maybe this weekend, if Carson's around, they'll probably, you know, come over to the facility and, uh, you know, and chuck it around a little bit, if you will. So I, I don't suspect that will be too much of an issue. It's just a matter of getting in the playbook and learning uh, where you need to be so Carson can hit you with the ball when you come open. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, I hear Eagle fans uh, were, were doing a lot of celebrating after the Super Bowl, and it's becoming very apparent uh, this uh, month and last month as Philadelphia has experienced a bit of a baby boon uh, to, uh, uh, to include also Nick Foles uh, celebrated with his own baby. So uh, that must have inspired others to go out there and get sticky with it. Uh, so I hear that Philadelphia is experiencing a bit of a baby boom uh, uh, post-Super Bowl era. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I suspect there will be a few babies named Carson, uh, maybe even Nick, I don't know. But I know when Chase Utley played here for the Phillies and, you know, and they won a World Series in 2008, uh, my son or my friend has a, a daughter he named Chase. Uh, you know, there, there are a few kids now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hearing that their names are Chase. So, you know, Chase Utley was one, a very popular player when he played for the Phillies. And, Sure. Uh, help them win a World Series. So there, there are a lot of chases running around in the Philadelphia area, and I, I suspect there'll be a lot of Carsons and maybe Nick's, uh, you know, over the next few, few months here as well. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Well, let's walk around the league here. Let's try to get to some of these games. We got the Falcons and the Redskins. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a good game. Uh, you know, it's got r- big ramifications inside the NFC East. You know, the Red, uh, Redskins are at the top of the heap right now at five and two, and you know, the Cowboys and the Eagles are both looking up at them uh, right on their heels. Uh, big game, big home game. The Redskins already lost once at home to the Colts. Uh, great win by the Colts. At, I think it was week two. Uh, yes. So the Redskins don't want to lose too many home games. But it's a big game for the Falcons, too, you know, with the Saints kind of, you know, putting some distance between them uh, and the rest of that NFC South. Uh, you know, the Panthers obviously are right there with the Saints, and the Panthers are even starting to open it up a little. So, you know, the Falcons, if they need to, if they want to make the playoffs as a wild card team, they need to win this game. Uh, so it's a, that's, that's just a huge game. One of a lot that are on the slate this weekend with big ramifications, and that that's certainly one of them. I, I don't know. I, I think the Redskins at home will find a way to win. Adrian Peterson, we've seen a rebirth of him at running back. 
uh, you know, what he's done to help the Redskins has just been tremendous. He's really given Alex Smith uh, that running game that Alex Smith needs to be uh, efficient and successful. So, you know, I like the way the Redskins are playing. I like their defense. They don't give up too many points. And, uh, you know, I think being at home, I think Washington will probably find a way to win this game, but it's going to, it's going to come down to the wire. I think it's going to be a close game. Well, it's, it's uh, the game before election day and it's what everybody's been talking about. So maybe DC can finally have a win on election day. We'll leave it at that. But, <laughs> <laughs> so the lions and the Vikings and the lions, obviously we just talked about the uh, post uh, gold uh, Tate uh, error begins with that, with Matthew Stafford without him. Uh, obviously at home, I mean, the Lions are at the Vikings. The Vikings are at home. This is always a, a rival game. This is always a game that, uh, you know, both teams uh, try their best to win, and they go out there, and it's a, it's a, a, for lack of better words, this is one of those games where you know it's going to be a bloodbath and a grind to the end. Yeah, you know, and I just talked about the running game in Washington with Peterson, and, that, you know, carry on Johnson, what he's given the Lions in that run game has been, very beneficial to Stafford as well. And, but here you have the Vikings coming in off of a loss uh, at home to the New Orleans Saints. So, you know, they're going to be looking to right the ship here. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think the Vikings have some issues. Uh, you know, I don't think the defense is as good as it was last year when they went to the NFC title game. I don't think they have a very good offensive line. They're having some troubles up front there. Uh, so I'm not really sold on this Vikings team. I, I think the Lions can uh, – can steal a win here against Minnesota and kind of put the Vikings in a little tailspin here. So I, I kind of like the Lions in this game. I, I'm not sure why, because losing a guy like Golden Tate from the locker room, or I'm sure he was a popular uh, guy, obviously Matthew Stafford's uh, top target. You know, the players can talk all they want about this being a business, and, you know, they understand. But then there's the human side where it's tough to, to deal with something like that when you lose a player of Golden Tate's, uh, you know, pedigree. So, I don't know. I, I think if Detroit can put that aside and, and forget about it as best they can, I think they have a chance to win this game against the Vikings. So we'll move on over to the AFC, if you will. The Steelers are at the Ravens. We have two teams here that are playing dramatically different than what they were, what we expected them to play at the beginning of the season in the preseason. We expected the Steelers to be very, very dominant. We expected the Ravens to not be so dominant, but it's kind of turned the other way around. Uh, the Steelers are struggling, and, and the Ravens are starting to find their way as they go into week eight. Yeah, always a huge game, huge rivalry game. Uh, I think it's a revenge game. I think these teams played earlier uh, this season, and I believe the Ravens won that game. So, um, you know, it's kind of a revenge factor for the Steelers. Uh, you know, I, I, I like the Steelers in this game. I, James Gordon's been uh, – I'm sorry, James Conner has been playing great, the running back in place of Le'Veon Bell, who, you know, who the heck knows where he is. He didn't get traded. Uh, I'm not even sure the Steelers know where Bell is at this point. But, you know, that's all water under, under the bridge from them. Conner was the player uh, – the AFC's uh, player of the month uh, for a terrific month that he had. And, uh, you know, I just think the Steelers seem to find their stride a little bit later, and, you know, a win over the Ravens will, will help them hit that stride. Uh, so I, I like the Steelers in this game. I, I do. I just think that, you know, Connor's play coupled with the fact that, uh, you know, the, Ra the Steelers already lost to the Ravens earlier in this year, I think will, will carry them to a victory here. We're talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, official NFL contributor to the balance. 
Well, the Chiefs just need to activate the practice squad, uh, take the week off, enjoy the win, uh, because it's just going to be a melee, a melee of uh, biblical proportions in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland fired Hugh Jackson. They fired everybody. I think they even fired the equipment manager. No, I'm kidding about that. Or <laughs> I think they fired all of their season ticket, all two of their season ticket holders. Um, I think they just went through and just said, uh, you know, the only thing about the Browns that are still standing is our name. And if we could change that quickly, we'd have done that, too. So the Browns uh, finally, I think it's about time they did what they did. And, that, I mean, midseason. But, you know, it's it's every time they fired a coach, it's been after a loss to Pittsburgh. So there must be uh, something about that. But I tell you, Hugh Jackson needed to go a long time ago. What does the Cleveland Browns do to get back on, on shape? Obviously, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs come in with a, a very dominant uh, Patrick Mahomes. I know uh, we got Baker Mayfield, but they've got to build this team around Baker Mayfield and make him uh, the, the, the pinnacle of how they, they go about who they hire and so forth, and, and because Baker Mayfield is the future of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, he certainly is. They need to find a way to, uh, you know, develop him and to me they're going to have to go out you know I don't know why in this day and age you would hire a defensive coach as your head coach at this point just because the league is it's an offensive league you know the, the way the rules always change they, they always favor the offense and uh, you know I if I you know I know the Lions hired Matt Patricia defensive guy I think it was a wrong move I don't know we'll see if, if Patricia proves me wrong but in this day and age, when, especially when you have a quarterback that you pick number one overall with Baker Mayfield, you have to go out and find an offensive-minded coach, one who uh, can develop him and make him progress the way you would hope a number one pick would and, and put him in positions to be successful. Um, you know, we saw it with the Rams when they hired McVay. You know, I'd like to have seen what the 49ers would be under Shanahan had uh, Garoppolo been able to stay healthy. So uh, I think they have to go out and find an offensive-minded coach to build this thing around Baker Mayfield obviously that's what you want to do um, but I think it'll be an attractive job because they do have some young players I like the things they've done on defense with you know uh, Miles Garrett on the outside and, and uh, you know they've got some good linebackers and the, the rookie Denzel Ward the, the cornerback uh, I like some of the things they've done on defense obviously there's some holes that need to be filled um, and that's the story of the Browns since they moved the night you know to pack to Cleveland in 1999 they they just keep going through head coaches and quarterbacks. You know, Baker Mayfield's the 30th quarterback to start uh, for the Browns since 1999, which is ridiculous. There's no stability there. And, you know, the Browns have to get it right this time with their coach because they have the quarterback that they expect to be the quarterback for the next decade. Uh, so they have to get it right with this hire. And now they're playing a Chiefs team that, uh, you know, you know, you've seen the Chiefs, uh, you know, they're 7-1, and one, they're, you know, they're a high-flying act with Patrick Mahomes. And, uh, you know, that defense is going to be tested. You just hope that the Browns have some accountability among the players. You know, like the leaders on that team say, you know, our coach got fired. It's on us now, you know, or, or we're not going to be here because we're next. So we have to go out there and play and, and show that we, we care and we want to win this game. So you hope the Browns have some accountability to at least make this a game uh, and not let the Chiefs run away with it, uh, whether they can do it. Talent-wise, I'm not sure the Chiefs are just multi-talented. Their roster is much better. And, you know, I suspect, I don't know what the line is, but I suspect that whatever it is, the Chiefs will end up covering it. 
Well, we'll see what happens, but yeah, definitely. Uh, that would, if, if we'll talk to Mo maybe about it here in a few minutes, but I, I would think that would be a, a game that if you're a betting man, just to kind of stay the heck away from. Okay, so we look at Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I think Tampa showed their allegiance to Jamison Winston, brought him back. Uh, I think now it's very clear that Jamison Winston is nothing more than a backup quarterback, that Fitzpatrick is their quarterback, and he throws a mean, lethal, deep ball. I think that Jamison Winston just clearly just uh, lost his job, and it was that simple. And uh, there should be no more allegiance to Jamison Winston uh, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he, he looked horrible in getting benched last week in that game with the Bengals, and then Fitz, Fitz Magic comes in and you know leads them almost to a win without that last-second field goal the Bengals kicked. But, uh, yeah, right now this is Fitzpatrick's show, uh, and that makes wide receiver Deshaun Jackson very happy. He had no chemistry at all with Jameis Winston. Uh, Fitz Magic loves to throw the ball to Deshaun Jackson, and that, that makes Deshaun Jackson a very happy receiver. You know, if he's not getting the ball, enough he becomes very disgruntled and you know there was a lot of talk in Philadelphia leading up to the trade deadline that maybe the Eagles would go out and try to get Deshaun Jackson as a wide receiver you know he he was drafted into Philly in 2008 uh, had a number of good seasons here bit of a problem in the locker room at times sure Uh, but the Bucks didn't want to trade him you know Dirk Cutter's on the hot seat down there as is the general manager so they weren't motivated to move Deshaun Jackson because they want to win now because what benefit could it be for them if they traded him for a third round pick that cutter might not be around to reap the benefit of that if he gets canned. So, you know, the bucks are in kind of a desperation mode. The Browns fired Hugh Jackson, Dirk cutter probably is the next coach on the hot seat at this point. So they've need to win uh, and, and win, win badly, whether they will, I, I don't know who, who are they playing again. Who did you say? Panthers? The, the Panthers. Yeah. The Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Carolina is, you know, after coming back against the Eagles, uh, you know, that 17 nothing deficit they climbed out of in the fourth quarter. I think they're off and rolling now. and uh, They know they need to win to keep pace with the Saints. And uh, I, I, I know it's a division game, and, uh, you know, Tampa could give them some trouble along those lines. Uh, but I, I like the Panthers in this game. I just, I just again, I just think they're rolling right now. Uh, the Bucks are kind of struggling a little bit, obviously. But, you know, if it's magic, you got to like what he brings to the table. So maybe they can make it a game, and maybe they can steal this thing if you're, if you're Tampa. Well, I'm such a smart and intelligent fantasy football player that's been doing it for so many years and has so much knowledge that I decided that when they decided to uh, put Jamison Winston back in, that I just decided that I would be the smart guy and drop uh, uh, Fitzpatrick from my fantasy team. And lo and behold, when I went back to go get him, somebody else scooped him up. That's what smart fantasy football players do, Ed. Uh, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I can I certainly it's hard to fault you there. I mean, once Winston came back, you thought he was going to be the guy. And, and I'm yeah. still not – you said that, you know, you think he's a backup now. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, we, we all thought Jared Goff was terrible too under, you know, Jeff Fisher and then Sean McVay. So, you know, maybe it's just the wrong coach for Jameis Winston to, to succeed under and – uh, I'm not ready to write him off as just a backup right now. So I can't blame you, Tom. I can't blame you for uh, letting go of Fitzpatrick. Certainly Winston looked like he was going to be the guy, but he just looked so bad last week. You just can't stay with him. Yeah, and we'll see where, where, he, where he ends up at. One more game we'll get to here. We'll let you go. Uh, the Texans are at the Broncos. Broncos are a very lousy team, but in this particular situation, I would like to see the Broncos beat the Texans because the Texans lose – 
puts the, 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 the AFC South race a little bit tighter. And you got to look at what we, uh, they play, the Colts play the Texans coming up. Uh, the, the, uh, the Colts play the Titans and the Dolphins, I believe. I think out of those two, the, the, the Colts could definitely win. Uh, I just, I mean, I don't know about Texans, but I, I tell you what, it would be nice because they're going to do nothing but give the Indianapolis Colts a favor with a loss in Denver. Yeah, I, I, Texans are really hot, probably the hottest team in football, outside the Rams, of course. But, uh, you know, they've won five in a row. Their defense, J.J. Watt, is, is fully recovered from his injury, leads the league in sacks with eight, or you know, tied for the league lead. Deshaun Watson, the further he gets from that ACL surgery, seems to be doing better. I, I like the fact that they were, you know, they have a run game now, the Texans. Uh, and like you said, the Broncos, a uh, pretty bad team. They traded away Demarius Thomas. You know, they were trying to uh, unload a couple of their cornerbacks, uh, Chris Harris and Bradley Roby. So, you know, the Broncos have kind of gone into that rebuild mode a little bit. And, uh, you know, the players will play, of course, for some pride. But, you know, Vance Joseph is another coach that is on the hot seat uh, in Denver uh, in bad need of a victory at home. Uh, but I just think the Texans are – I don't think they're going to do the Colts any favor. I, the, the Broncos, I just think the culture just, I mean, the Texans are just, uh, they're playing too well right now. Uh, there's too much going on for them to, uh, to lose this game. And I suspect they're going to win their sixth in a row. And uh, do the Colts play them the week after Tom? Is that the Colts? I think so. I don't think the Colts schedule up here with me right now, but uh, I think so. You're right. It's, it's coming up. It's coming yeah. up. Soon. I know that. So, we, we will see. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a winnable. You know, that, I, I like that. I, you know, I think the Colts match up with the Texans. I mean, I think the Texans are hot. Yeah, they'll beat the Broncos, but you know, that Colts game could be a different story when they do when they do finally play, especially if it's next week and the Colts coming off a bye, having two weeks to get ready for them. So we'll see what happens. Rob Gronkowski still reportedly dealing with a, an angle injury uh, there in New England, but I I don't know that that Gronk is a must have for the new England Patriots. They are, they are on a roll and uh, the new England Patriots are doing what the new England Patriots do. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on Gronk uh, still dealing with this ankle injury and uh, this, this, the tight end for the new England Patriots uh, uh, still listen to this question. Well, but of course, when you're at the new England Patriot, every player is listed this questionable, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, well, those ankle injuries can be can be tough to overcome, uh, especially if you're a skill guy that needs to, you know, cut and run and do all those things that you know a tight end would have to do. So, uh, you know, he, he still you know powers through it. You know, he probably gets shot up before the game with some painkillers and and moves on through it. But you know, to me, the Patriots are I don't know. I know they're they're playing well and everything. I, I just still think they're kind of a suspect team. They're, they've actually given up more yards, total yards, than they have gained, which you know, I don't know how you do that, and they're sitting there at uh, whatever their record is, six and two or five and two. Um, but but you know, they're they're not they're not a juggernaut by any means. And you know, the Packers are coming off uh, that loss in L.A. where they you know they traded away Ty Montgomery, who fumbled the ball after telling him to stay in the end zone on the kickoff. He didn't. He came out, fumbled it, uh, and that cost Aaron Rodgers a shot to win that game against L.A. last week. So yeah, you know, I think the Packers are smarting. They did the right thing, trading Ty Montgomery away. That was an outright. Uh, act of mutiny by him to, you know, disobey the coach. Uh, so, I, you know, I actually like the Packers in this game. I think they're going to go find a way to beat the Patriots. Uh, I think that's in Foxborough. I think they're going to find a way. I think Aaron Rodgers against Brady 
a great matchup. I mean, terrific matchup. But I just think that I'm not really sold on this Patriots team yet, and I think the Packers have are very motivated coming in off a loss against the Rams and are going to find a way to win this game behind Rodgers. Well, they say Ryan Tannehill's out for another two weeks. Uh, this is not good for the Dolphins. The Dolphins are already struggling. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ryan Tannehill being out an extended period of time? Uh, well, I mean, Brock Osweiler, you know, he wants that job. He has been doing okay, but the Dolphins haven't as a team. They've lost a couple in a row. They they were 3-0 and at one point. I think they're sitting at 4-4 four and four now. So, you know, obviously they're struggling. Uh, Tannehill, can you count on him? Going forward, I'm not really sure. You know, he could be shipped out of town at the end of this year. He was hurt all last year. This year he's uh, struggling to get back. So, And even when he's in there, you know, he's not you – know, I'm not sure he's an A-plus type quarterback. So, um, you know, it hurts the Dolphins. But at this at this point, I think I might rather have Brock Osweiler in there anyway and, uh, you know, keep giving the ball to Kenyon Drake. I know he's playing a little bit better in the run game. So, uh, I, I think right now you just ride with Osweiler and hope you can get this thing turned around. All right, Ed, I know you said you had to get out of here. We ran over a little bit more than what you said, but you're more than welcome to, to stick around. Uh, Mo, the BS Sports Show joins us as well. We're going to talk about uh, uh, where to where to bet, where not to bet, to talk about some college games as well. Do you want to stick around or you got to go? i got to run, Tom. I hope you're right, better. Buddy. Get well soon. Thank you. I hope so, too. All right. All right. See you, Mo. All right, buddy. Hey, right. have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor, uh, and uh, he's a beat writer uh, for the Sports Exchange, www.footballmaven.io/eagles. My name is Tom Marquis, President. Be right back. Myself and Mo Williams going to wrap it up and put a bow on it. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark with Zen President. We've got 90 minutes in the books. We've got 30 minutes left on the clock. Mo from the BS Sports Show is going to join us here in just a moment. We're going to get into uh, some games to look at, uh, maybe to put your money on, not to put your money on, when to hold them and when to, when to fold them, if you will. Uh, again, uh, we, we send our sympathies to the Holman-George fam- family, Mary Holman-George passing away overnight at the age of 83 obviously very well known at the indianapolis motor speedway and if you ever watched the indianapolis 500 uh at any time in in, in recent years as far as a, in most people's lifetime you've heard her say ladies and gentlemen start your engines mary Holman george uh, uh chairman of the board of indianapolis motor speedway has passed away so we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the show with matthew Embry uh and rick Riggin, as well as with uh, some college football talk and then our NASCAR and racing segment, we talked a little bit more about Mary Hallman George and, of course, the uh, round of eight going into Texas with NASCAR as we get ready in Homestead. And then Ed Kratz, our official beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and our official NFL contributor, I'll get that right, uh, uh, to the balance and certainly talking about the Eagles, a straight uh, trade with Golden Tate with the Eagles uh, and talking a, a little bit about uh, some of the games of the week. But joining us now is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, how are you, sir? Doing fine, my friend. How about yourself? 
Fantastic. I've got one lung left, and it's on its last leg. But other than that, I'm doing well. I have been, I have been battling this chest cold all week long. I tell you what, it is, it is no fun. Mo, now I know you're familiar with Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I don't know how much covering and racing that you do, but are you familiar with Mary Hallman's work? And if so, do you have any thoughts on her passing? I mean, I, I've seen the only thing I know about her, honestly, is the fact that they wheel her out there to say, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines, and that's about it. Uh, racing is something that uh, that I, I say, you know, for the most part, pretty far away from. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's kind of get into some of these games. You know, obviously the Colts are on a bye week. Uh, you know, I the gig is up, as I talked with Ed about in the last segment. Uh, uh, Mo, the gig is up. It is officially out. Very noticeable to everyone that the Oakland Raiders are tanking for 2019. We've talked about it here, uh, and certainly you're very familiar with Vegas. they got to be excited about what's coming uh, their way because they are tanking and throwing everything away to get ready for Vegas. Yeah, I'm beginning to wonder, though, about uh, if they really are tanking because they're absolutely terrible. I mean, there's just <laughs> there's nothing good about them whatsoever. Uh you know, the other night scoring three points on a third-string quarterback in San Francisco and getting beat as badly as they gotten beaten. Uh, you know, there's tanking and there's just the, the things are just a mess. And I think it, it's going further than that at this point. I think I think there's discontent in the locker room. I think there's discontent uh, uh, with the coach towards some, a lot of his players. And I, I think that this has turned into a, a humongous mess. Yeah, I I don't know how much of this that we can put on the on the shoulders of John Gruden, but if he's getting a hundred million dollars guaranteed, he can have it all on his shoulder. How much of it, though, realistically, should we say, belongs in ownership in the lap of John Gruden? Uh, I think a big chunk because he's the guy that uh, decided to get rid of Coyle Mack. He's the guy that decided to trade Amari Cooper, uh, Amari Cooper, and uh, I think that uh, you know he's he's given some uh, doubts. Uh, and, and undercut uh, his quarterback Derek Carr as well. He, they, uh, they got rid of a couple of their offensive linemen. Derek Carr's been sacked a, good, a billion times. So I think uh, a good amount of it, honestly, lays on the shoulders of, of one John Gruden. Well, let's uh, get into some college uh, talk, if you will. Um, let's talk a little bit. We talked about this at the beginning of the show, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts. Uh, DJ Durkin fired uh, from the Maryland Turpins uh, head coach. Uh I don't know that he was directly responsible at all for the passing of the player's death of Bradford, I think is his name, and I apologize I don't have it up here in front of me. But also, at the same time, I think Bradford, or if I got the name wrong, I apologize. So we'll just call the player that passed away. It's sad that that happened. But it, it's come out that there was some physical uh, indications that he had that he was not reporting to the team. He was also doing, expected to do the same thing that other players were expected to do. How much responsibility for DJ Durkin? Because they they put they they stood behind him and said we're gonna we're gonna reinstate you, we're gonna put you back on the sidelines. Social media blew up. Social media then dictated uh, to the president. Really, what happened is that they fire him uh, because of the death of this player that I don't think he was responsible for in any way, shape, form, or manner. It's unfortunate about his death. I'm certainly not trying to minimize the death of a player. But, I mean, that's huge. But at the same time, how much of the responsibility lies on D.J. Durkin? And then to get turned around and say, oh, we're going to stand behind you. Well, wait, no, no, we're not. You're out of here. You're gone. It just seems to me like Maryland handled this whole thing in a bad way. 
they handled the whole thing in a bad way, but the the way that they handled it bad was, uh, you know, internally during some of their investigations where they put uh, a sign-up sheet up if you wanted to talk to investigators, but they put it right next to the coach's door, uh, you know, it, and you had to sign your name there. So to intimidate players even more, uh, to me this is 100% DJ Durkin's fault because he's the CEO of that football team. And <clears throat> the fact that they've created that culture to where it's, oh, you're, you're not uh, enough of a man, uh, you're a humongous wuss, so we're going to do this, 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 and this to you. Uh, the culture created there, if you, look, if you listen to uh, all the players, I mean, they were, they were going to suit up if he would have coached today, I think, uh, six players because everybody else was going to sit out. They weren't going to play for this guy. So that tells you there that, that he created that culture there that, uh, that led to this. The fact that they still employ these trainers uh, who when somebody was suffering from heat exhaustion, A, they couldn't figure it out because they deal with it all summer long. Uh, and they did, then they didn't cool his body temperature down. The fact that Maryland still employs uh, these two idiots uh, is unbelievable to me. Now they're still on suspension, but they have not been fired, and we're told that they were going to stand behind those guys as well. Uh, this, is to me, is a colossal screw-up from, uh, from the bottom all the way to the top. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, D.J. Durkin is the CEO of that football program, and he created that culture there. So I think the, uh, the blame does lie uh, hugely on his shoulders. Well, Okay, that said, then they should have just stuck with the firing and, and moved on about it and not said, okay, we're going to bring you back. Oh, no, we're not. It, it, it felt like, it seemed like that the only reason they fired him uh, and fired them was because of the blow-up of social media. Maybe that wasn't the case. It just seemed like the whole thing was, was, was handled badly. You know, Week 10 has massive college uh, playoff implications, Mo, and so certainly uh, those that bet were going to kind of go through the. I, I'm not good at the spread, so I, I didn't even pull those up. So we're just going to talk about the games, and you kind of tell me what your thoughts are on the game. And, and if you know the spread, great. If not, that, that's fine, too. But there certainly is uh, what I think, obviously, all eyes are on epic SEC clashes like we've got today, LSU and Alabama. There's a lot of other games going on. We've got Northwestern and Notre Dame. A lot of people think that Northwestern can beat Notre Dame. Uh, whether you prefer the over, the unders, the spreads, the money line, the multipliers, whatever it is, I think you might, might know a little bit about that better than I do. But that said, we'll go through some of these games, and you just tell us what your thoughts are uh, on, you know, hold them, fold them, show them, whatever terminology that, that, that you want to use. Let's start with LSU and, and Alabama. I think LSU has the ability with Alabama. They may not have strength to win the game, but I think Alabama hasn't been pressured to a high extent since the championship game last year. I, and I don't know how well they hold up to the LSU Tigers under pressure. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think LSU can play a very good game against the Al- Alabama. Against the well, Alabama. This is yeah. where the, this is where the uh, college football playoff, uh, where the, uh, you know, it starts to seem like there's a little uh, weird stuff going on, uh, conspiracy theory type stuff, because to me, it, it feels like LSU, uh, you know, should be the number four ranked team there. And I feel like the college football playoff can only rank them at three. That way, if Alabama does lose this football game, they don't have to fire that ball because they, they lost number three. They can't have Alabama getting out of that uh, playoff picture because uh, I think the playoff committee feels like they need them. To me, this is where I, I hate the, the playoff committee stuff because it feels like it's the same teams every single year. But uh, you know, this football game I, I think might be close, maybe uh, for the first half at most. But to me, uh, Alabama's offense is just so dominant, and, and I think LSU does have a better defense, like you said, uh, than anybody they've played all year. But to me, 
uh, it's going to be hard to continue to stop this offense, uh, you know, drive after drive. It's like trying to stop the Rams offense or the Chiefs offense, drive after drive after drive. It's just it's damn near impossible. I think LSU can hang in this game for a while, but at the end I, I think that Alabama pulls away because it's going to be – it's going to tire these defensive guys out to continue to try to stop um, to us. So I, I, just, I, I think Alabama's offense is too tough. I, I think Alabama wins this game probably pretty handily by the end. No, another good game that a lot of people are watching is Louisville at number two, Clemson. Uh, certainly a lot of people think at home Clemson could win this game. Uh, but you, you never know what a Louisville Cardinals football team can do. Uh, sometimes you know exactly what they can do, but I, I don't know that uh, Louisville has what it takes to beat Clemson. What are your thoughts, Louisville at number two, Clemson? Uh, this is another game where I think that the the – the team is overmatched as far as the offense goes. We saw Clemson just pour it on Florida State uh, last week, and I think they do the same to Louisville again today. Maybe it's close for the first quarter, but I think this is Clemson team has really hit their stride. And their, uh, Louisville doesn't bring even the type of, of defensive talent that uh, Florida State did, and Florida State just got smoked. I think that this is a game that Clemson wins handily and, uh, and you know continues to uh, try to work their way up into uh, a national championship. Notre Dame at Northwestern. We talked about this game earlier. Matthew Embry uh, out there, up there in Notre Dame land. Uh, thinks Northwestern uh, is the, is the team that can stop the running of the table of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, a lot, I've heard a lot of people all week long talk about uh, this game as a trap game, and we've seen Northwestern pull out some wins this year. Uh, and Notre Dame is on the road at Northwestern. But to me, the one thing that's different about this Notre Dame team that hasn't been in recent years is that in tough games on the road and tough environments, which we saw earlier this year, uh, especially at, uh, at Virginia Tech, which is an absolutely crazy place to play, that Notre Dame has gone in and handled their business. Uh, you know, I think this is another game uh, where, yeah, it could be close, but I, I think Notre Dame, honestly, at this point, is too talented. They played in too many big games. It's something that Northwestern hasn't uh, – hasn't felt in a while. So I think this is a game that Notre Dame, they know the pressure, they know what needs to be done, and, and they go in and win this football game. I think it probably is a, probably a close game, uh, but I think Notre Dame uh, overall wins this game. Evanston, Illinois, that stadium, not the hardest place in the world to play. Huge Big Ten matchup, number 14, Penn State, at number five, uh, Michigan. Michigan has uh, uh, been able to, to find their way. Uh, I still say they have the most overpaid, overrated coach. But that said, uh, Michigan is, is out to prove it, and certainly they're on, on the path and trending to uh, be right there in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Penn State at, at number five, Michigan? Well, what's funny is uh, because of where I work now, it's funny to watch Ohio State fans forced to cheer for Michigan because with that one loss to Purdue earlier this year, Ohio State really needs to meet Michigan uh, as a one-loss team and as a number five team in the country when it comes down to their uh, showdown Thanksgiving weekend. So it's a funny aspect of this game is to watch Ohio State fans now have to cheer uh, for the maize and blue. Uh, You're you're right, this is a big test, and we've talked about this all, all season long so far as can Jim Harbaugh's team continue uh, to handle these tests, which they seem to falter, uh, you know, in the past few seasons. But I think the difference is, again, this year, is that Jim Harbaugh finally found his quarterback, somebody he trusts, somebody he's willing to open the playbook up for, somebody who he, he has confidence in to make plays. And that's just what, uh, that's what Harbaugh always looks for in a quarterback, somebody he can trust. And I, I think he's found that in Shea Patterson. And I think that's why you, you see the difference in the offense this year. The defense is consistently good each and every year. But now I feel like the offense has rise to kind of meet that same level. And I think uh, Michigan wins this football game. But, again, we've seen Penn State uh, be up and down. And 
you know, play poorly against uh, big teams uh, and then just smoke big teams. So it'll be interesting. And I think lucky for Michigan, they're not playing uh, in Happy Valley. So I think that gives that edge uh, to Michigan with 110,000 people there today. I'll tell you what, we've got another really big, big SEC matchup. That's number six, Georgia, at number nine, Kentucky. Kentucky has finally found their way into the top ten, obviously started the season off great with a win against Florida, and they've not looked back since. But the Georgia Bulldogs uh, might stand in their way a little bit this weekend. I think the Georgia Bulldogs can go into Kentucky and win. Yeah, I mean, you know, this has been a fun story with Kentucky so far this year, and I think it's cool to see them. Uh, ranked in the top ten for the first time, you know, since God was a kid. Uh, but I, I think that uh, you know this uh, this is where the uh, the the magic carpet ride comes to an end. This Georgia Bulldogs football team is too good uh, in my eyes. I think they're too good on on both sides of the ball. I think they dominate uh, talent wise uh, in each and every spot. Now, you know, I guess it's very possible as it is every every, every game that Kentucky wins this football game. But it's just it's so hard for me to see. Uh, Kentucky pull us out. This is, you know, a big game, uh, even bigger than when they than when they played Florida. This is just a huge game, and I don't know that Kentucky's ready for this. It'll be fun to watch today, though, for sure. Uh, but again, not a very intimidating place uh, there in Lexington to play football. So, uh, yeah, I like Georgia in this game. So, uh, set of the week, uh, not really been that impressed with Ohio State. A lot of people say Urban Meyer's on his way out, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe he'll be up there in, in Cleveland uh, after they cleaned house this past week. We'll see. Uh, but uh, uh, Urban Meyer has not been what I would say the Urban Meyer of past. Nebraska has struggled, but a lot of people think your big upset of the week is right there. Nebraska and Ohio State, that this is going to be the punch in the mouth that Ohio State did not see coming. Nebraska goes into Ohio State with a win. A lot of people think that that is exactly what's going to happen today. Well, I'm not one of those people. Uh, I, I love Scott Frost. I, I like uh, his off. I just I don't think this is a Nebraska team where right, to they're going to Ohio State and win this football game. Uh, now that being said, if they copy what Purdue Purdue did. You know, it's a, it's a formula that uh, shows if you keep Ohio State throwing the football and not let them get a running game established, that, that that can be done. But I think, honestly, that Purdue is a much more talented football team than Nebraska. I don't see Nebraska going in and knocking off Ohio State at home. I think Ohio State wins this football game. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to be against uh, seeing Nebraska knock them off. I think that would be uh, hilarious and a lot of fun. Well, let's uh, move on over to the NFL, and we'll talk about uh, the you cover very well the Cleveland Browns. As we know, they cleaned house. They fired the equipment manager. No, they didn't, but uh, they fired everybody, and it's about time that they did do that. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, the last time they fired a coach was after a loss to Pittsburgh, too, so maybe there's a connection there. But uh, it seems like that the ownership of the Cleveland Browns finally want to start taking steps to win ball games. They have to build this team around Baker Mayfield. Who do they go after? How do they do this? Is this an Urban Meyer team? Is this a Lincoln Riley team? Who do they go after as the next coach of the Cleveland Browns? Well, I mean, you know, ownership may be finally taking it seriously, but they should have let John Dorsey hire his own coach. What, what makes no sense to me at this point is you, you said, you know what, Hugh Jackson with 0-16, that's okay. But, hey, he's won two games and tied one this year. Yeah, that's not good enough. He's gone. Uh, to me, the, the, the guy, I mean, I don't think Lincoln Riley leaves for that job, honestly. Uh, to me, the guy that, that I would throw a ton of money at uh, to develop my quarterback at this point uh, would be Bruce Arians. 
that would be the guy that I would want to uh, lead a young Baker Mayfield at this point. He's a guy, I think, that is a, a player's coach, but yet is a guy who still commands uh, respect and discipline. I, I, just to me, uh, you know, as soon as they fired Hugh Jackson, I just that's the immediate coach that came to my mind. That's who, excuse me, I would want as a Cleveland Browns fan and as the Cleveland Browns front office to uh, mold my quarterback uh, as he's done with so many others in the past. The, the guy that I would call uh, and if it wasn't interested, throw a ton of money at would be Bruce Arians. Well, that's a name I had heard, but that's a very, very interesting name. And, and, and now that you talk about it, that certainly uh, makes makes sense for sure. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, uh, they're they're a train wreck. We'll, we'll, we'll see what goes on. What are your thoughts about the Colts? Uh, I mean, we're on a buy this, week, but you know, if, if, I'm not saying the Texans lose to the Broncos because the Broncos are pretty bad. But either way, the AFC South isn't as good as thought it was going to be going into the season. The Indianapolis Colts have gotten progressively better. I think we still have a shot at least being uh, there in the thick of it at the end. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think they have a shot at it, but is that what's best for the football team? Because let's be honest, being just mediocre and okay is not uh-huh. a great recipe for success in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, as a Colts fan, yeah, I want them to win football games, but I, I think them getting knocked out in the first round of playoffs isn't uh, as helpful as we look forward to next year as it is to accumulate some pretty decent draft picks. And with those extra second-round picks, you know, you'd like to see them be picking up towards the top of that second round. So it's great to see them winning football games again. I, I still don't trust uh, trust this defense 100%. I think there needs to be more talent in the skill positions on offense. But they have consistently gotten better, and, yeah, there's definitely a shot for them to be a, a playoff team, but – I just I don't know that that's that's for the football team moving forward. Is Mar is Marlon Mack Big Mac the running back of the Colts' future? No, uh, I think he's a nice complimentary back, but I I think a with his injury history and b with his inconsistency that I don't think that uh, that he's the guy that you lean on. And if he was, he would have been playing more. He, you know, he would have played more than Frank Gore did while Frank Gore was here. Just I, I just don't think that he's a guy a who would stay healthy uh, and b that uh, a guy that who consistently can give you the great performances you need. So I, I think that he's a nice complimentary, a nice changeup, but I still think you need a, a better running back there, and I think you need somebody else to take the double teams off T.Y. Hilton at the wide receiver position. Big news out of the NBA this week. The Houston Rockets are trying everything they can do to get Jimmy Butler from the Minnesota T- Timberwolves. Timberwolves says, no deal, no deal, no deal. We are not dealing Jimmy Butler at all. How bad does the Houston Rockets want Jimmy Butler from the Minnesota Timberwolves? Well, if you look at the terrible start that Houston's got off to, I think they, it's not that they want him. They need Jimmy Butler. Uh, you know, I think Houston will correct itself. But, you know, they're a team that, that's a lot worse off without Trevor Ariza, without uh, Luke Bob Ute. So, uh, and, and they realize already that the uh, Carmelo Anthony experiment is not going to be great. Uh, so I think that they're desperate to pick up a guy like Jimmy Butler. Uh, a not only try to, to stay off, stay uh, in playoff contention, but to uh, try to compete with the Golden State Warriors. So you're looking at a team that uh, is extremely desperate, and I don't think that this trade's even going to start to happen until they're willing to throw in a guy like Eric Gordon as well. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a very hefty price to pay if you're Houston, but I think you pay it because your window is very short uh, right now with the, an aging Chris Paul and uh, you know, with the, some salary issues you're going to have in the next couple of years. So I think now's the time to do it if you're going to do it. So I think, you, you know, you, you risk that to try to get a guy like that. 
Talk with us a little bit about post-Cleveland Cavalier life without LeBron James. How do they go on? How do they survive? What do they do? Well, I think you're seeing it right now. They're terrible, and that's, uh, that's what they do. Uh, they're, they, they, they just continue to be terrible. Uh, it seems like a guy, uh, you know, I don't think that uh, Larry Drew, the interim coach, is going to be the long-term solution there. I think a guy, you see maybe a guy uh, like Avery Johnson uh, come from Alabama maybe to, uh, to be the Cavs' next head coach. Kevin Love's out six-plus weeks uh, after he just had surgery on his foot. Uh, so I think just continuing to be bad at this point and, uh, you know, hoping to pick up uh, a guy like Zion Williamson or, or, you know, a couple of high draft picks uh, like they did before. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're on the track of what, they, what they're doing. They're just going to have to be terrible for a little bit. The Pacers showed – I think everybody was so happy with the Pacers last year. We want them to build on that momentum uh, going into this year. I'm mediocrely impressed with the Pacers this year. I think they're kind of getting a slow start, but it's a long season. So what are your thoughts about the Pacers? I mean, yeah, I agree with, you know, it was a nice comeback last night after being down by 18 points. Miles turned out a big block at the end to seal the win for the Pacers. Uh, you know, but they've lost to some teams uh, that they shouldn't have lost to, and that's, that's what's bothered me so far. It seems like um, – Bogdanovich hasn't returned to the same form as we saw last year towards the end of the year. Uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, you've got to uh, continue to figure out how to work Tyreek Evans. And usually, you know, when you bring in a guy who's a, a darn good scorer like he is, you've got to figure out your way first. So I think you'll see maybe a rough six to eight weeks with the Pacers. And I think, you know, come Christmas time, they figure this out and they start their march towards the postseason. But I think it's a it's kind of a patient wait and see uh, type deal right now for the Pacers. They figure out how to continue to work. You know, guys like Tyreek Evans into this offense. Well, we all know LeBron James is in L.A. It's funny that we never heard LeVar Ball say that he could coach the Lakers to a title game with his eyes closed before LeBron James got there. Uh, so I, I, this is not a title year for the uh, L.A. Lakers just because they've got LeBron James and just because LeVar uh, Ball says. Hey, I can coach the Lakers to a title game with my eyes closed. He couldn't. He couldn't coach his sons to anything with his eyes open. He's a complete douche. Um, <laughs> but you, you look at the uh, you look at the Lakers, and they're, they're just not a well put together team. You know, they've got some fun young talent, uh, but they're not a team who's good on defense. Uh, they're a team that, that's somewhat old and guys that come off the bench, and they're a team that, that doesn't have a prolific three point shooter. With a guy like LeBron, you need guys who can continuously knock down a three-point uh, shot when he penetrates and, and kicks the ball back out. So there are a lot of issues on this basketball team so far. I think they're lucky if they make a seven or eight seed uh, at this point. But uh, a title, no. I mean, unless we see LeBron – I mean, he's taken worse teams to the NBA Finals. We've seen it. But uh, I don't think in the Western Conference that's a possibility like it was in the East. So uh, they're definitely, you know, some moves away, uh, probably a year or two away still. Uh, from uh, being a title contender. All right, Ma, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, as always, we we love the wisdom that you uh, uh, wisdom and knowledge that you bring. Is there any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you have for us, sir? I got nothing, Tom. I got nothing. Got I, nothing. My brain is <laughs> for the day. It's uh, my liver screaming, and uh, and I feel like I have to. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll talk to you. you. Go take care of that task, and we'll talk with you again soon. All right, buddy. <laughs> yes, as I continue to die, it's a good time to end the show. My name is Tom Mark Wassell, President Jay. Thanks for.
for joining us. Thanks to uh, Matthew Embry uh, joining us, uh, Rick Riggins joining us, Steve Wilson, uh, and uh, Ed Kratz and Mo from the BS Sports Show. Uh, again, we can, we send our thoughts and prayers to the family of an Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Mary Hallman George passes away at the age of 93. My name's Tom Marquis. We'll do this again next week at 9 o'clock. Remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.